You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. Good morning. Welcome into the show. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. We need cash out of your home in a simple way to get it. Rocket can. Very excited to talk to our next guest, MLB Network host and reporter and analyst, multi-time Emmy Award winner, friend of the program, and all-around great person, Alana Rizzo, joins us. Good morning, Alana. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm wonderful. Let's get the uh, the importance of out of the way. Halloween. Was it chill? Were you dressed up? Were you giving away candy? Were you working? What was your Halloween vibe like last night? I went as a really, really bummed um, baseball analyst that did not get to cover Game 3 because of the rain. So there were a lot of us uh, dressed the same. We were hoping to be able to get Game 3 in. Obviously, um, Mother Nature had other plans, but here we go. So now we have five straight days of games, which I guess is good. But at the same time, I would have loved to have seen um, it unfold last night. Yeah, we do. And uh, statistical anomaly or it's interesting to me maybe it's not interesting at all but i found it interesting that philly's undefeated i saw this morning at home in this postseason and houston's undefeated on the road in this postseason obviously they're not at a 1-1 uh, there's a lot of things going on but as it relates to a day of rest one day that we were supposed to play baseball where we didn't get it who has the advantage who does this benefit alana the astros or the phillies that last night's game was rained out well, it certainly benefits uh, your relieving core because every guy gets an extra day of rest. Now, the Phillies have elected to go with Ranger Suarez as their starter for this game instead of having Noah Syndergaard and basically what was going to be a bullpen game. So what you, if you look at the rosters up and down, everyone talks about how much the Astros' depth is a benefit to that club. But I do think that it's definitely going to help the relieving core. And, of course, Rob Thompson had to deploy a lot of guys, particularly in Game 1, after they came back from that 5 to nothing depth. Deficit. Once it was tied, he was very aggressive and bringing guys out early. Alvarado, those types of guys, uh, early on in the game, perhaps you know earlier innings than they would have. But Lance McCullers Jr. is going to stay as the game three starter for the Houston Astros. He does have postseason experience, but albeit it wasn't, you know, it hasn't been since 2017 that World Series as far as pitching in the World Series. But you know, I, I think this is one of the series, honestly, that is so unbelievably well-matched. Um, I could see it going either way. Honestly, I did pick the Phillies in six just to kind of be a contrarian because they are really steep underdogs. When the series started, it was almost two to one as far as Vegas odds were concerned, but they're both two really, really good teams. I think it comes down to a mistake. Alana Rizzo here on the show. I love that pick, and so does so does uh, Tom, the, the producer, because he just started cheering because he also took the, the Phillies in six, and it's the first time, Alano, that one of his takes has been endorsed by someone as qualified as you are, Alana Rizzo, uh, here on the show. Well, one of the things, Alana, that I think is really interesting about, about baseball when we get to the postseason, in this series in particular, is the way in which a lot of GMs, most GMs, have to build for what is obviously a marathon, a long-term, long Major League Baseball season where statistical realities just play out over the course of, of a season – when you get to the playoffs, there's a lot more happenstance, there's a lot more chance. I don't know if it's psychology or what it is. To what degree do you believe or not believe that the idea of momentum, of which the Phillies certainly had a bunch, matters, is a tangible thing in terms of who can win a World Series? 1,000%. And that's why I feel the layoff between the last game of the CS to the beginning of the World Series hurt the Phillies more than it hurt the Astros. The Astros had the expectation of being here. I mean, this is their sixth straight ALCS. This is the fourth trip to the World Series that they've had in six years. 
This is a team that had expectations of being there. The Phillies, on the other hand, won 87 games in the regular season. They got hot at the right time. They did everything they needed to do when it mattered the most, and that's why they're the best team in the National League at this moment, winning the NL pennant. But look at momentum back, and I'll take you back to the 2007 World Series. Uh, I'll take you back to that postseason. So I had just started covering the Colorado Rockies, and they had gone on that unbelievable tear, 21 out of 22 games in which it allowed them to go to the postseason. Game 163 against the Padres, Matt Holliday, in my opinion, did touch the plate. They go on and they sweep the DS against the Phillies. They sweep the CS against the Diamondbacks, and then they had to wait for the American League to finish up to get to the World Series. So we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Now, I'm not saying that the Rockies would have beaten the Red Sox in the World Series, but I am saying I think it would have been a lot more competitive had they continued to be able to keep playing. So that's where I think a layoff benefits the Astros more than it benefits a team that has all the mojo, all the magic, and everything going for them at the right time. So much of baseball with such a long season is playing together everyone playing over their skis at the same time at the right time. So I, I love that example. I didn't know you covered that team. I did. Yeah, it was a, I had just gotten back to Denver from Madison, Wisconsin. It was really my first uh, foray into baseball. And that was back, you know, when, when Aaron cook was their ace, the sinker ball pitcher, I was like, I don't even know what a sinker ball is. I mean, I've hopefully learned a lot since that time, but I mean, they were, they were absolutely on fire and uh, you know, then they got swept in the World Series just because that I think that momentum ended for them. I, I love that because I, I cite that. We cite that a lot on the show when having this conversation because that, even though that was 15 years ago, that is ingrained for whatever reason in my memory as such an example of what you're talking about. Alana Rizzo here, here on the show. Alana, if I can go back to, to game one, Justin Verlander didn't pitch at the level that's expected in what was a, a pretty impressive comeback, obviously, for, for Philly. I know we've had this conversation about Clayton Kershaw and other guys and other pitchers. What is what do you make of, of Verlander's history in, in the World Series and your expectations for him going forward? In you know, you know, I've been screaming on the off you know off mountaintops about this bill because, as you know, I covered the Dodgers for seven seasons, and I know one of the big narratives and knock on Clayton is that he didn't have good postseason numbers. Now, Justin Verlander has some decent CS numbers, but he has been equally as terrible as Clayton in the World Series. He is now. 0-8 with a ERA over 6. Um, this is a situation where he just doesn't seem to pitch well in the World Series. Now, game one, he actually pitched really well for the first three innings. In fact, I believe he was perfect for the first three. And the Phillies lineup is a team that hits the high fastball. And if you look at the Astros pitchers, Justin Verlander and Christian Javier are 1-3. and three, Or, excuse me, Javier is one, Verlander's three in terms of high fastball throwers, like, you know, three feet above, you know, really high fastball percentages in terms of what they use in their repertoire. And the Phillies can hit the high fastball. So I don't know if the Phillies were kind of forcing him to go to his off-speed stuff, his secondary stuff, but the second time through the order, it was pretty apparent that they had figured him out. So he doesn't have good World Series numbers. Now, is he a first ballot Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Is he about to pick up his third Cy Young? I believe that he is. But he doesn't pitch well in the World Series, and the Phillies took advantage of that. And again, when, when you come back from a 5 to nothing deficit, much like the Astros did against the Mariners um, when they were playing, you know, you have to take advantage of the fact if you have Justin Verlander on the ropes. And they did that. And that's why Rob Thompson, to his credit, as soon as they tied it up, 
started deploying his bullpen incredibly aggressively. And they had to get they had to get a split in Houston. It was imperative that they got a split. They get that first first win, and a, for whatever reason, the Astros can never win Game One um, of the World Series. So they did. The Phillies did exactly what they needed to do. They got the split in Houston, and now they have the crowd on their side. Alana Rizzo, any insight from your, your years covering the Dodgers and being around Clayton Kershaw through all of that and all the talk and all the narrative and everything about what Justin Verlander can or can't do to try and have a different kind of outing next time around? You know, I think Justin's numbers speak for themselves. I mean, as I just said, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. Um, I, I don't know, and I certainly haven't talked to Justin about this, um, but, you know, for whatever reason, he just doesn't have the good numbers. And, and that's just kind of the narrative. And don't think for one second he's not paying attention to this. And we had talked about it, too, before he took the ball in game one. We're like, the tide absolutely has to turn. I mean, Justin Verlander is going to have a good outing in the World Series. He's just too good of a pitcher, too dynamic of a guy, a guy that was basically out of baseball for two years after Tommy John surgery. And, you know, he's 39 years old. He's not pitching like he's 39. Um, so I don't know what it is about, you know, maybe start him in game two. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a pressure thing, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that feeds into pressure or is worried about the moment. I mean, he's certainly pitched in enough big games and been in enough big situations. Alana, sometimes the, the legacy conversation in baseball, I think, can be a little overwrought or a stretch. I, I don't know that it is in the case of, of Dusty Baker. Amazing career, but what would it mean for him to lead a team to a World Series win? Well, I think Dusty is a Hall of Famer regardless if he gets a World Series win or not, but it certainly would solidify the fact that he would be. I mean, this is his 25th season as a manager. He has won wherever he has gone. Um, This is a guy that um, was the perfect choice for the Astros to put in their dugout and in their clubhouse after the 2017 fiasco. Um, You know, he has a tremendous legacy if you want to look at that, but I do think – you know, there are very few people in the Hall of Fame, as far as managers are concerned, that don't have, uh, I want to say there's five or four before Dusty that don't have a World Series win as a manager. They may have it as a player, but not as a manager. So do I think Dusty is a Hall of Famer? A hundred percent. Would it absolutely cement it if he won this? A hundred percent. All right, Alana, I know it's it's very hard to project. And you, you said, you told us you took the Phillies in six in this series. Uh, give us a just what does it look like if the Phillies win? What does it look like if the Astros win this series going forward? What, what are the keys here? I think you have to jump on, um, well, tonight, McCullers early. You can't let the crowd get out of the game. I think it's key for the Astros to, to have success here. Get the crowd out early. Jump on Ranger Suarez, who I know the Phillies have a tremendous amount of um, confidence in and respect for. Uh, get on him early. I think you can't make a mistake. And Bryce Harper still has to have his um, World Series moment. I mean, the, the Phillies aren't here without Bryce Harper, but he hasn't yet had that big World Series moment that he had perhaps obviously in the in the CS um, to get them here. So I think get the crowd out of it. Jump on Suarez early if you're the Houston Astros. Jose Altuve has to continue to perform. He's starting to come around again. We knew he was going to wake up. Um, you know, he sets the table for this Astros team and they have a lot of really good guys and it depends on what they're going to do at the DH spot. Um, Looked like Hensley was going to get his first start because they've got to figure out the DH because Aledmus Diaz and Trey Mancini are not hitting and you can play Jordan in the outfield here because it's a small outfield. So you still have an opportunity to figure out the DH as far as the Phillies are concerned, same thing. You know, jump on McCullers early, have that big Bryce Harper moment, 
hopefully, you know, the lefties, the Schwabers, the, the Harpers of the world are not um, neutralized um, by the Astros pitching. Um, I, I do think this is going to come down to a mistake, a, a mishap on defense. Um, I, I do think these are two really good teams and honestly pretty evenly matched. Alana Rizzo, great stuff as always. Really appreciate the insight. Enjoy uh, enjoy the series, however long it goes. All right. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Have a good day. You too. Alana Rizzo on the program, MLB Network analyst, host, anchor, reporter. She's got something like 182 Emmys or 12. I don't know. It's somewhere in that, in that range. I should have bet on the Phillies. I should have bet on the Phillies, Diesel. Somebody may have told you to. Kind of, although I do think that the rainout is not as good for Philadelphia, just because I think momentum. I do think it. I just think that there's a vibe and a. Although Houston won the last game, so maybe it's a reverse momentum thing. Maybe you know, in, in the context of of the good feelings, it takes a little bit of a puts a little bit of a pause on there. Oh, we got by ourselves, and it is a uproariously good time. Is it? Is it more your pretty daddy vibe or more your your, your farmer Tom vibe? Uh, today I think it's more pretty daddy vibe. Pretty if I'm daddy. being honest, I don't I don't fully embrace that nickname. But if I if, you know if I had to say today, okay. uh, I'm feeling the pretty daddy. It's edgy, it's smooth, it's charming. It's a buy yourself for the ages next year on CBS Sports Radio. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, welcome back into the show. Post-Halloween, Andrew Bogish is here, Pretty Daddy is here, and now it's time for Buy or Sell. What side will Bill take on the biggest issues in the world of sports? It's time for today's edition of Buy or Sell on Writer Than You. Now, Bill, you know exactly where I have to start. It's with your Chicago Bears. I just sell whatever it is, probably. But okay. <laughs> they made another trade yesterday, sending linebacker Roquan Smith to the Ravens in exchange for a 2023 and 2023 second-round pick and fifth-round pick, along with linebacker A.J. Klein. Now, Roquan Smith currently leads the NFL in tackles this season, but this trade felt in- inevitable because, remember, Smith had requested a trade out of Chicago back in August after he was upset with his contract situation. Buy or sell, it was a mistake for the Bears to trade Roquan Smith. So he's young. What is he, 26, 25? I'll I'll sell it was a mistake. I'll I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. It's obviously a total rebuild, tear down. You don't want a guy in that locker room that doesn't want to be there, especially the new head coach. I mean, buy, sell, put it on layaway, whatever. It's not going to end well. It's the Bears. Is this part of the uh, love-hate relationship you have with uh, with your Bears? Why do you enjoy this so much? I mean, they have a, a stud defensive player leading the league in tackles. That seems like a good thing, if you ask me. It's a total teardown right now. Your offense is a mess. Your your first round draft pick quarterback, it seems like he's regressing. You think maybe you'd want to keep a guy who's really good on defense because I don't know, you can't score the football. Defense played great against the Cowboys, I and mean, it's a great point. Like they really just held him up, you know. Yeah, I mean, kept him to under fifty. Good job under there. Under fifty. Can I just just can you say your name and then I'm gonna do it by yourself? Uh D Cell. 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 By the way, Stu, Stuart Kovacs, Ryan Hickey, and I all worked together on the show when it was on the evenings. 
I'm not even sure which of us have the worst franchise. The Raiders, the Bears, or the Colts. Uh, there's apathy around the Colts. They were supposed to be a good team. They're not. They have benched Matty Ice. Uh, right. Stu's Raiders can't score any points. And your team almost gave up a 50-burger. Bogus buy or sell. Josh McDaniels is going to be a successful head coach. Uh, I'm going to sell that. Sell. I'm with you. I'll also say Hickey has the lesser of three evils in backing the Colts. If I had to pick one of those three to jump on a bandwagon, it'd be them, not the Bears or the Raiders. What did you, you know, say, though? There's apathy around the Colts. Like, they're supposed to be a playoff team, and yes. nobody cares that they're not good. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm disappointed. I, I do think people care that they're not good. Um, but I, But I still think that they're in better overall shape than the Bears or the Raiders. The only upside... For the Bears, is if you think Justin Fields is going to be really good, right? But and I, I mean, like certainly him jumping over a guy that he just has to touch in order for that guy to be down. I can I can I be angry that, for you? Yeah, I mean, in the non-Kyrie Irving division, I don't know how he's not the bum of the week. I I just Fair. that it drives me nuts. This this rule has existed for how long now? And people constantly don't touch down ball carriers in the NFL. But I've never seen anybody leapfrog a guy giving up on a play to let him get up and score a touchdown. I I don't know what it means about intelligence, football smarts, decision-making, his long-term chances of being an elite NFL quarterback. But in that moment, he was in a different dimension, a different simulation having no effect on the one that we we're all in. Um, I'm with you. Tom, can you just, I'm going to speak for my wife now. Can you just say your name again? Uh, Diesel. Bye. Bye. I'm just going to read you the text. I don't know what she's referencing. I don't know if it's a compliment. I think it's, I think it's meant as a compliment. That was the best Tom has done on making his point. All right. Which one was it? What point did you make? I'm not sure. I'm going ig- to ignore it and keep going because I don't want to mess it up. What's happening? I think his Bears his Bears takedown was the correct one. It was, was good. What she's referencing. It was good. Yeah, I mean, you certainly didn't like my Colts take that nobody cares that they're not good. I think there are some people that care that they're not good. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been to Indianapolis in about a year and a half, but I feel like the entire city would disagree with you. All right, let's stay in the NFL here. On his Sirius XM Let's Go podcast yesterday, Tom Brady broke his silence about his divorce. There's a lot of professionals in life that go through things that they deal with at work and they deal with at home. And obviously, the good news is things that it's a very amicable situation. And I'm really focused on two things and taking care of my family and certainly my children. And secondly, doing the best job I can to win football games. So that's what professionals do. You focus at work when it's time to work. And then when you come home, you focus on the priorities that are at home and all you can do is the best you could do and that's what i'll just continue to do as long as i'm working and as long as i'm being a dad buy or sell that closure in his personal life will help tom brady on the field the rest of this season i will sell because so i don't know if that's closure and i'm i'm this is full of nothing but sympathy but the guy sounds so sad to me doesn't he sound sad he does, but he always sounds meh to me. So I don't. Again, I, I just I don't know like how much sadder he is. But I don't think that 
this is full closure. Like he's those two kids are in the middle of their parents splitting up. So like, there's gonna be 100%. good days and be bad days. I I think this is the season long storyline. And the only hope is he finds a way to actually play through whatever he's feeling on a daily basis. He's right that everybody has to sort of balance their work and their professional lives, and I think it's a mature insight. But and I'm sure we all know people. I certainly do. I know someone going through it now. Not everyone succeeds in that balancing act, right? That's not. It's, that's a lot easier said than it is than it is done. Yeah, and I think that this problem, while it's not unique, like in society. It's got to, there can't be that many guys who are going through this level of problem in their in their daily personal life. Like this is a, this is a lot. This is not just like oh yep. my kid's sick or having a tough time fitting in at school or like I'm sleeping on the couch. Like this has been a long drawn out emotional. Yep. Now there's lawyers involved. Like this is not simple and clearly not easy to work around. And most people that get divorced in a way that is heartbreaking or difficult or stressful or frustrating, all the stuff that I'm sure that it is, most people don't have to answer any questions about it for the most part, let alone at press conferences and on podcasts. And I think, and he said this, I think it's reasonable to ask, but it's, you know, this guy's got to, nobody likes to sort of live again and again and again, whatever trauma they're going, whatever difficulties they're going through. And that's one of the realities of being Tom Brady. You don't get to just walk into a room and have nobody talk to you about it. And don't forget, he loves to tell us how much time he spends prepping for games and doing this work at home. Right. Like that has to not be at the same like has time commitment because it just it's just not possible. He wouldn't be doing his job as a dad if he was still going in the basement and firing up Rams footage from six PM to eleven o'clock tonight. And not to state the obvious here, but to, to add to your point, it's not right in my home, and I'm sure each of your homes, when I have work and I do Lori can hang out with the kids, and they feel connected, right? They're connected with a parent. For Tom Brady, when his kids are with him, he's got to be with his kids. He can't be. What, they're going to put him in front of a laptop? Like, that's probably not his goal. And so there's all – the advantage of being married is that you – you know, when I have work at night, when I travel for work, my kids feel loved. Their mom's there, right? Like, it, it, I would imagine if Lori and I were divorced and I have my kids, I would have to just – I would want to pay attention to my kids when they're when I have time with them, right? It's yeah. it's a different thing for poor Tom for Tom and, and Giselle. Like I feel bad for both of them. All right, let's get to some college football here. Now, yesterday we mentioned the ugly scene in the tunnel at the big house on Saturday, and after watching video of the incident, Michigan head coach Jim Harbaugh is expecting criminal charges. What happened in the tunnel was egregious. Sickening to watch the videos, the ones that are uh, on social media. Uh, there needs to be accountability. There needs to be a full, thorough, timely investigation. I can't imagine. I can't imagine that this will not result in criminal charges. It's clear what what transpired. Buy or sell this incident needs to end in criminal charges against Michigan State players. So I buy. I mean, I I buy. I've always thought the idea and the notion that because you're playing sports protects you from the you know the laws of the land is it, it is just is not the case. Do you, anybody want to make a different argument? Because I'm I'm open to hearing. I just to to me, you're off the field. You're not in a game anymore. It's it looks really ugly. I think it's assault. Yeah, who was it? Stephon Diggs and Jair Alexander trash talking before, yes. during, after Sunday Night Football. 
If those guys had a fist fight in the tunnel after the game, after a one-on-one, -on -one, multiple hour thing that boiled over, it's a different conversation. Even Fair. if one yeah. of them beat the unit one out of the other one, this there, there's no other way to look at this. It's off the field. It's four-on-one. It's five-on-one. Right one guy's again. swinging a helmet, maybe. Like yep. there, there's no defending this. And there's and you're right. Like the idea that well, it's a it's football and emotions are high. Like no. You still need to know what's right and what's wrong and what's gone too far. And this was like a gang attack. I mean, for three or four guys yes. against a, te a, a teammate on his own? Like, it's just it's a it's, group assault. It's not okay. It's a group assault. Yep. All right, let's stay in college football here. After less than two full seasons at Auburn, they fired their head coach, Brian Harson yesterday. Now, Harson won just nine games with the Tigers. Auburn also named a new athletic director yesterday, which, no coincidence, that was the same day they fired Harson. Buy or sell that Auburn is an elite college football coaching job? Buy 100%. Buy. I saw a great thing on social media that I'm going to totally butcher, like the poem, No Man is an Island Unto Himself, earlier on the show. Um, from one of my CBS Sports HQ colleagues, it listed the number of times that a job has been open this century at various programs, including this one. And LSU, Auburn, Tennessee, and another one had more had has had job openings more often than Auburn, including this opening. Point being, like, yeah, it just the I don't think the question is the eliteness of the of the opening. I think the question is the eliteness of whoever they hire. A lot of eyes will be on Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin. Would buy or sell bogus you would hire Lane Kiffin for this job? Oh buy. You buy. Absolutely. I just, yeah. And from Lane's perspective, it's definitely, uh, in my opinion, a better job than Ole Miss. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's no doubt. I Can you imagine the Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban lead up? <laughs> to an Iron, to Iron Bowl? Bowl? Yeah. To the Iron Bowl? Here's something I'm really interested in. I don't understand. Explain it to me. I, I, I don't understand. Why it's okay to jump jobs in the SEC in a way where I think it would be much more frowned upon in other, in other conferences. Is just because it's such an elite conference that people understand you're just you're going to climb that ladder? Because if you're the Iowa head coach and you're really good, and, and so this is, doesn't apply to this reality because of Kirk Ferentz's son. But if you are, um, and you go to Ohio State or Michigan, like that's that's a, but that's a betrayal in the highest order. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where it comes from. Is like, do they just not care because I got to get the guy that I want, and I, I don't care whose traditions or you know lines drawn in the sand? Is it, or is it about there is that much of a difference between the top and the middle and the bottom of the SEC? We love to think of it as this elite, all-encompassing conference, but is it really about Alabama and Georgia, and then Auburn and Ole Miss and Tennessee, and then? Arkansas, right. I mean, I'm just throwing names out there. Like, is it is there that much difference between the jobs in the conference that it just that doesn't exist in the Big Ten, so to speak? I mean, yeah, maybe it's because the SEC is so competitive that and so difficult that ads want to see the ability to win in the SEC. Like, that's the mo like, right? You can yeah. you can be Urban Meyer and you know you're going to be able to win in the Big Ten with no disrespect. You can be Harbaugh at, with the Niners and. You know you're going to be able to come in and compete in the Big Ten level. I think that's I think that's the right answer. I think it's basically they're all insiders. Like, and then Brian Harson's the perfect example. Everyone went really the Boise State head coach. 
going with no other ties to Auburn and the SEC. Right. So you need to like almost like like the Targaryens marry within the family. Yeah. To keep the bloodlines pure. Although that doesn't that, really work. No, but if you don't do that, then you can't eventually you won't be able to manage the dragon there won't be any dragons. Right. Then there's a pretender on the throne, and then there's a whole series that ends in disaster and destroys the hopes and dreams of an entire country that spent seven years watching. Exactly. Couldn't exactly. have said it better myself. That is a creepy part of Game of Thrones. Like, it's a very... Brothers and sisters and cousins are like, you know... Yeah, but I, there is historical, like, backing for that, right? I mean, places for that have had kings for and... siblings? Kings and queens, like, staying within the family. I think, maybe not, not siblings, siblings, but cousins... Oh, I mean, I think Benjamin Franklin or one of no, no, who was it? John Adams, I think, married his cousin. But I'm talking yeah. about like actual, like actual dynasties that were were like yes. the Game of Thrones, like trying to keep it yes. within the family, like they kept it within the family. But that's not siblings. It's not siblings, but it's not that much less gross. In the book, now in the book, I don't know if this is true in the series. The original Targaryens that come over and take over, it's like a dude and his two sisters. And I think they're all just one big happy family. Is that is that in the show? I don't. Um, in the show, not that specific, but there is familial relations, and right. then there eventually there is a brother betrothed to a sister. Yes. Okay. Right. So it's still. I don't think that was happening in merry old England, but I'm not a history major, so I could be wrong. Detail your thoughts. Uh, you guys nailed it. I have nothing else I could possibly add to that conversation. Well said, pretty daddy. All right, I'm going to get to some hoops here, and I was pretty fascinated, uncle. fascinated by this. <laughs> During an appearance on the Woj Pod, Pacers big man Miles Turner spoke about the trade speculation that surrounds him and the L.A. Lakers. You've been hearing it for months, so I'll ask you, if you're the Lakers, would you do the two picks? Would you do the two picks? <laughs> oh, that's, that's such an intriguing question <laughs> at that Um I think personally, you know, when you look at this business of the league and, you know, knowing the landscape of the league, you know, you have to go off your future, right? And we, we all know picks are so valuable in this league. And someone like myself, I'm heading into the last year of my you know, my deal. And you want to make sure, you know, you're getting a return, you know, for your assets, right? So, you know, if I'm the Lakers, I take a very hard look at this with the position that you're in. You know, I know what I can provide for a team, you know, my, my leadership, my shot blocking, you know, my three-point ability. And just my ability to make plays out there on the floor, and I take a very long look at it. But as far as pulling the trigger, you know, that's uh, I get paid to shoot. Now you know I'm not meant to make these calls, so I, I couldn't answer that. <laughs> Quite the elevator pitch there from Miles Turner. Buy or sell the Lakers should trade for Miles Turner. Sell. Sell. I wrote about this last week that that it's always brutal when LeBron leaves. It is, you're in the wilderness, and the culture's not great, and your, your young players are either traded or haven't developed. And a lot of your picks are gone. But, I mean, you're not going to get him for free. It's dra- the only valuable picks in the future down the line for the— because the Pelicans have pick swaps in the Lakers the next couple seasons. So Lakers, you know, could, could whatever, have a terrible pick, and they could still they could still swap it. It's the, whatever, 25-27 or whatever the years are. You, I just don't think you can give those— even second-round picks matter. I'm No. You're not going to win a championship with these guys. Am I the only one stunned by that elevator pitch there from Miles Turner? Here's what I do well. Here's why you should want to trade for me right now. I know you're put out in the break. I, I, Bokish, I like the fact that he answered it. Like, like, Diesel actually was put out that Woj asked it. You were in a, like, in a league that pretends to care, pretends to care about tampering. 
How is how is that okay? Here's why the well, Lakers should trade for me right now. I don't think it's tampering when it's a trade where you're just like, it's not like he's saying I will. I'm going to go to the Lakers and they have to lower the price, right? Like the Pages have to. It's not what Anthony Davis did. It's I get. Saying, I get that it's not full fledged tampering, but like, I don't think it's a good look for the NBA. You think you think Turner went miles beyond what he should have? <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I mean, that was my first thought, too, without the tremendous pun, is that the Lakers couldn't do the reverse. Like, Rob Palinka couldn't talk about Miles Turner like this, so should Miles Turner be allowed to sell himself to the Lakers like this? And what does it do for him and the Pacers? Like, it's, it is a weird, it's a weird thing. It's weird. I still love it. And I love that Woj asked it. I'd, I, I'd ask it if I was smart enough to think of it. I'm so, I'm shocked he answered it. That that's right. The answer it shouldn't be a clip because it should be something on the podcast that no one really hears because it's oh, hey man you know that's not I'm paid to shoot. Yeah, like I would have asked it in a very in a way that wouldn't have made him guilty of this pseudo tampering. Like it would have been you know you know who might be out there looking for you the blah 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 the trade. Why should anyone want to give two first round picks for you? Like never mention the Lakers, offer? right? To a random team, including maybe the current one you are on. I am wondering. <laughs> All right, let's finish up with one last one here. Please. Des- despite not having Joel Embiid Wait, this is last, the last night. one? Uh, this is the last. Are you sure? I, I really missed with Benedetto. Do you remember this book? I used to interrupt him, and he would get so mad because he was, like, so focused on reading the script. Like, what, what, I'm sorry, what did you say? And it would just throw him off. I don't trust this is your last one. Uh, this is the last and final question of Buy or Sell today. I'll believe it wow. when I hear it. Despite yeah. not having Joel Embiid last night, the 76ers mm. won their third straight game, beating the Wizards 118-111. Did you say three in a row? Uh, that would be three consecutive wow. games. Without no Embiid, you said? Uh, no Embiid last night. Right, he was sick, I believe. Non-COVID illness. Right. Tyrese Maxey led the way for Philly with 28 points. It was the third time Maxey has led the team in scoring this season. Oh, by the way, that's the same number of times that James Harden has led the team in scoring. Okay. My question to you, Bill, buy or sell that Tyrese Maxey needs to be the second scoring option behind Joel Embiid for the 76ers to reach their potential. Wait, wait I'm trying to understand. You trying, trying to throw some daggers at, at uh, Harden? Uh, nope, just ask a simple question whether Tyrese Maxey... Does he need to be sell? Sell. Does he need to be capable on certain nights? Buy. I think... Bye. I know they're not the Warriors, but like one of the things that made the Warriors so dangerous over the years when Clay was Clay was you could get production from a lot of different places, especially when Durant was there, right? You just there was you just couldn't stop that team. And if Maxi's capable, it's just about how defense is scheme. You can't double team two different guys. I think if Harden and Maxi are both capable of being the top scorer, the second leading scorer on any given night, that makes Philly at least offensively really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, and Harden. I don't think you mentioned this, DCL, but he had twenty three and seventeen assists last night. Like that's I, right. like, I, what he's number one. Maxi's number one without Embiid. I just think that's and Doc said it. So take that with a grain of salt. Oh, Is he? No. They're they're just they're better this year to play without Joel, better equipped. And I thought that was a pretty good box score for them last night. I did not. I did not see the seventeen assists. That's that's um, that's a lot. Yeah. I'm assuming most of them to Maxi while he was scoring his 28. That is mu- mucho. Um, all right, good stuff. Uh, Bogus, have a wonderful rest of your day. Hey, you too, and it does appear to be your last question, so I, I stand corrected. Yeah, I was telling no lies. I don't know why you guys don't believe me.
Because we've worked with you for, for a while now. Um, Got 855-212. No, because we want more from you. We, want, we, we love buy or sell. We want to push the clock. We need more diesel in our lives, more pretty daddy time. Right, and it's Tuesday. It's a Champions League Tuesday. There's a huge <gasps> match. I'm watching Barcelona play. Spurs and Marseille, winners in the next round. I, I just figured there'd be a soccer question to close things soccer. out. Yeah, what do you what do you Marseille is going to happen, huh? What do you, what do you think? <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Yeah, the Harry Kane, I'm, Spurs, Tottenham on a victory today. What do you think? All of I'm, it, yes. Buying all of it. I'm going to watch Barcelona play a meaningless game because I want to see how Pablo Torre uh, performs in this game. Don't uh, we all? Good stuff. Also came up with a new nickname for Stu. It's Stuart Sick Day Kovacs. When you said Sick Day in there, it just popped into my... Is he here today? He's here today. All right, well, it's not every day. Sick days are many days, not every day. Uh, all right, so we're going to get a little serious. We're going to get into Kyrie Irving and their reaction to the anti-Semitic documentary that he put on his social media that I wrote about and talked about on the radio yesterday. Steve Nash underwhelming his response, but some other folks really, I thought, impressive, impressive counter move. We'll get into that here on the show after we get a CBS Sports Radio update from Andrew Bogush. You're listening to the Writer Than You podcast. All right, welcome back into the show. Writer Than You here on CBS Sports Radio, longest segment ever. Uh, real quick, the Defensive Player of the Week is sponsored by the Navy Federal Credit Union, who probably serves the Armed Forces, DOD veterans, and their families. Their members are the mission. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. On Sunday, the New Orleans Saints shut out the Raiders, holding Las Vegas to 183 total yards of offense. New Orleans got four sacks on the day, while also picking off Derek Carr once. The Defensive Play of the Week is sponsored by the Navy Federal Credit Union. Talk yesterday, opened the show yesterday, with my perspective on Kyrie Irving's radically unacceptable and hate-filled promotion of a documentary based on a book that is wildly anti-Semitic. I'm not going to get into all the details, but if you go to my Twitter, Sports Writer, Sports R-E-I-T-E-R, and you sort of scroll through there, there's a lot of things, including a screen grab that Pablo Torre from ESPN put out, uh, which is one of the many things that are in this documentary. It's a fake quote attributed to Adolf Hitler with one of the most anti-Semitic conspiracy theories you could hope for. So when your video is turning to Adolf Hitler, a made-up Adolf Hitler quote, by the way, for proof of your perspective that is anti-Semitic, it is, in fact, anti-Semitic. Um, Kyrie played yesterday, and credit to those young folks who got tickets on the floor and were wearing the matching shirts uh, about anti-Semitism and the need to push back against it, to fight it, to not accept it. There's great visuals of Kyrie Irving walking back and forth, right? And, and Kyrie did not face the media yesterday, wants to promote things like this, this garbage to his 4.6 million Twitter followers, but not face 11 reporters who can actually ask questions. I think it says a lot about his supposed courage, which, by the way, is farcical. And to those of you out there that are pushing this, and there's so much anti-Semitism and drivel on my Twitter account right now, I mean, shame on you. Whether it's out of ignorance or it's out of hate, distinction without difference, shame on you. And, and to a degree, shame on, on Steve Nash. I know it's not an easy position to be in, but this is equivocation to me, and, and I just I have an issue with Steve Nash's response yesterday after the game to everything that's happened. I just hope that uh, we all grow through this together. You know, there's, uh, there's always a, an opportunity for us to grow and understand new perspectives. Uh, I think the organization is, uh, is trying to take that stance where they're going to communicate through this and, and try to all come out in a better position and more, with more understanding and, uh, you know, more empathy for uh, every side of this debate and, and situation. It's not a debate. There's not an every side of every debate, including this one. When people are anti-Semitic, when Kyrie Irving promotes this sort of thing, it's not debatable whether what side is what. 
when racists, and there's so much of that we talk about on the show, when vitriolic racists get out there and make their racist garbage claims, I'm not interested in the other side of the debate. And you shouldn't be either. I'll close on this. And look, I'm neither a black man nor a Jewish man, so I haven't had to deal with racism or anti-Semitism in my life. It's not my life experience, and I recognize that. But a little insight is always interesting. When I write columns at CBSSports.com, going after racists, the racists come out of the woodwork, and it's just dispiriting. And yesterday I wrote a column similar to what we talked about on the radio show going after Kyrie Irving and the anti-Semitism that is inherent in the things he's promoting. And the anti-Semites came out of the woodwork. I'm not going to read you all the tweets, but I can't, you can look. I can't tell you how many people accuse me of being part of a Jewish conspiracy and that Kyrie was right. If you think Kyrie Irving's words don't matter, if you think they don't reach people, if you think it's harmless, if you think it doesn't influence people to think in a similar way, you're wrong. And my very small Twitter account is a place where you can go look at the mentions and see that. This stuff is dangerous. It's wrong. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. And that Kyrie Irving doesn't see that still, and that Steve Nash won't say that now, shame on both of those guys in a severe, severe way. All right, that's it. That's the show. Thank you for listening today. We hit a, a, a bunch of stuff. Appreciate Alana Rizzo being on the program, talking some World Series. Remember, Game 3 is tonight because it got rained out yesterday. There's a bunch of sucker going on today that Diesel's going to watch. You can also check it out. I'm sure we'll hit that on the show tomorrow. Appreciate him. Appreciate Bogus. Appreciate you. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you back here tomorrow on CBS Sports Radio.